Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. David, who earlier tonight scored his 30th. One-timer, cleft bomb, rebound, score! Milan Lucic with his third career hat-trick, and it's unnatural, Hattie! He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos! Darrell Walker with the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. NHL tonight we have two games early in the second period the Sharks lead the Rangers 2-zip and two teams off to great starts going at it the Maple Leafs lead the Kings 1-0 after the first Matt Martin with his first of the season to give the Maple Leafs the lead even though the Kings had a 17-10 shot advantage in the first period your Edmonton Oilers back at it tomorrow night final game of their three game road trip they will play the Pittsburgh Penguins we have it for you 3.30 tomorrow afternoon for the face-off show the game will start at 5 and one of the things with the Oilers what is going on with Leon Dreisaitl and Drake Kajula of course uh, Dreisaitl with the concussion type symptoms and the eye injury Drake Kajula has missed 5 games with an undisclosed injury well here's what they said after practice today as long as well as head coach Todd McClellan and by the way both guys full participants in practice Leon and Drake both look good they feel good but they have a number of hurdles that they still need to cross before they get cleared to play in tomorrow's game we're anticipating that that could happen but uh for me to say they're in or out would be uh i don't have enough information right now to tell you that i was happy to be out there for a full practice and uh you know fully participate um still gotta see how the rest of the day goes and, and see how tomorrow goes um don't know for sure if i'll be playing or not but uh, i know feeling pretty good um been practicing now for a little while so uh there will be some rust for sure but uh you know i've been uh trying to practice and, and keep uh keep up in shape as much as I can. You know, I feel pretty good. I felt pretty good the last couple of days and um, you know, happy to be out there with the boys and um, you know, hopefully it won't be won't be much longer. So um, you know we'll see see how I feel tomorrow and then we'll go from there. All right, so we'll probably find out after the morning skate tomorrow, so keep it tuned to 6.30, Chet, and, of course, Oilers now with Bob Stoffer from noon to 2. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. It is 6.08. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30, Chet. We will have the coaches show with Morley Scott and Jason Moss at 7.30 tonight. We'll have Blake Dermott talking a little Eskimos as well. Big announcement today for the U of A and Nate. The face-off game is back at Northlands Coliseum for the first time since 1991 between the Ooks and the Golden Bears, so we will uh, have a little bit of discussion on that as well. And former Toronto Blue Jay, two-time World Series champion with the Blue Jays, Ed Sprague. 
is going to be on the show as well. So that's all straight ahead. You can text 63630, the phone number, 780-496-0063. The Oilers, man, oh man, who would have thought this? 31 teams in the NHL. They are 30th, 30th in goals for... They went on the road trip. Well, even before the road trip, they had a huge focus. We got to clean up the goals against. We got to clean up the grade A scoring chances. We got to check better. We got to take care of the puck better. Well, they have done that, and they have to have better goaltending. Well, they have done that. They have had that through the first two games of the road trip. They go into Chicago. uh, Pretty entertaining game. The Oilers are able to pull it out 2 1 in overtime. They only allow one. They go into Philadelphia, and they only allow two. And they can't score. They only get the unassisted goal by Patrick Maroon. So they need Dreisaitl back. I, I, uh, I, a lot of discussion. I was listening to the Bob show earlier today. A lot of discussion about what they would do with the lineup if uh, if Kajula and Dreisaitl both come back tomorrow. Uh, I would think Euro Packerinen would likely come out. Um, UC Jokinen may be a candidate to sit out for a game. I, I might even take Yamamoto out for a game and put Dreisaitl back on that right wing, put Kajula on the right side with Nugent Hopkins and Lucic, and then you can move Strom to third-line center because I think he's been a little better at center. But we don't know if both guys are going to be ready. It's uh, it's obviously been a tough start for the Oilers with a 2-5, and five, and I, I think it's sort of everything that people were worried about going wrong going wrong at the beginning of the season. They weren't getting support scoring. They weren't defending well. Talbot had a couple of off nights and uh, they were, you know, they were obviously one and four. The better game in Chicago, the the defensive side of it is is better. We'll see if they can maintain the consistency there. But now they're just, they're not getting the scoring. They, they had a power play with nine minutes to go in Philadelphia. Couldn't score to get the lead and they really had kind of had a five on three and a half because if you watch the game, Andrew McDonald blocked a shot and was hobbling around and the Oilers weren't able to attack him. I know Rob Brown was asked about that after the game and they said you know he said in that situation even if the Oilers had swung the puck to the other side of the ice then Provorov probably skates over there and McDonald stays in front of the net but still he wasn't very mobile and uh, and they weren't able to take advantage of it. So tough start for the Oilers. They're in a ditch here uh, even though they're playing a little better. They're in a ditch record wise because you know how much energy it can take to get back up to 500, and then you're back up to 500, and depending on when you get there, you're still four, six, eight, ten points out of a playoff spot, and then you got to start climbing that hill. I do think they'll have a burst. Uh, I do think they're going to start getting more scoring. If Dreisaitl comes back, that's certainly going to help, but this is the exact contrast from last year when they started 7-1. and one. I mean... Eight games in, they were seven and one last season. Tomorrow's game eight. Best case scenario is three and five. Best case scenario is already eight points behind where they were last year. Now that was an exceptional start. Uh, this is a poor start, but hopefully some things pick up and they start getting some more chances at the offensive end. A little more from McClellan. We've had good practices. Um, it's transferring it over into the game, and I think we're getting better in those situations. We worked hard today. We got a lot done. Um, the guys, after a, basically a day and a half off almost because of the afternoon game, uh, you expect them to be a little bit ragged. I thought they got the the uh, kinks out fairly early. They moved the puck around, and then the ice got quite snowy at the end, so we... Uh, you know, we didn't get a lot done in uh, in one area that we wanted, but that's okay. All right. And 
you know, they they are a hard practicing team. Uh, I don't think they have this start out of laziness. Yes, perhaps some negligence and maybe uh, a little uh, overconfidence or perhaps lack of attention to detail. They do work hard in practice. They've worked harder the last couple of games. 613 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Bit of an aside here. And this is a, a sort of my off-topic topic for the night, though it is sports-related, which some of our off-topic topics haven't been. Uh, I, I was wound up texting with my buddy last night, and he randomly says to me, <laughs> "This was, this was funny." And I should say, th- this friend of mine is actually not a big hockey fan. Uh, he's lived in Edmonton all his life. His uh, sports of interests are NFL and Formula One racing. He says to me, I'm looking at our text conversation. We got Dustin Kaufman on the other side of the window. By the way, Dustin, welcome to Inside Sports, by the way. Thank you. Is this Reed. your first time operating the show? It is. Well, it's, a, it's an honor for both of us. Happy to be here. Though I'm sure by the end of the show, you'll be asking never to do this shift again. <laughs> so my buddy says to me, Do you think goaltenders should still be given win loss records? I don't. And I was like, Of course they should have one loss records. The point of the game is to win. And then I said, So do you think. Pitchers shouldn't have one-loss records in baseball. Again, my buddy's more of a baseball fan than he is a hockey fan. He goes, I agree with that, especially given how the esoteric rules around how wins are given. Now, he used a word I didn't know what it means, so I just ignored that comment. Then he says, uh, that being esoteric, that he says, giving one position on a team a one-loss record is nonsense. I says, I don't understand what you're saying. So much of sports is situational. Players always know the score and the stakes. Like when Cam Talbot is turning away shots with a 2-1 lead late in the game, he's the backbone of the win. I, I said, if you don't want to give wins and losses, why give credits for goals? There's five guys on the ice. Why single out the guy that scored the goal? Why not just give credit to everybody? And he goes, there are team wins, and they also record goaltender wins. That makes no sense. Why not defenseman wins? Why not captain wins? This is all for my buddy. Then I said, because goaltending is the most important position in the sport. Do you think the Oilers have 47 wins last year with Brassois playing 73 games like Talbot did? And he goes, when a team loses a game, the team record is given a loss. Why single out only one other player as the loser? And I said, they're not singling out the guy as the loser, but goaltenders play the entire game. And he finally said he respectfully disagree and stopped texting me. Like, who's crazy there? I think, it's to me, it's obviously my buddy. I mean, a, a, a one-loss record is one thing that I think is reflective of a goaltender's ability and the impact he had on the game. Same with especially starting pitching in baseball. You play the entire, and look, it's not the only stat. But if you're saying to me, here's two goaltenders with similar goals against averages and uh, similar save percentages, I want to know who played more and who won more. Because you could could find some guys with, uh, you could find some backup goaltenders with better save percentages than the starters, but they don't play as much and they aren't trusted as much. So they don't win as much and they don't have the experience. So anyway, it was just a surprising little uh, text debate I got into with my buddy last night, who I will be seeing at Monday Night Football this evening, and perhaps he'll uh, he'll want to continue that discussion. And I'll be I'll be glad to engage him, definitely. Uh, Jim texting in, he says your buddy thinks way too much. 
Elvis is on the line as well. Hello, Elvis. Hey, Reed. Listen, uh, for your friend, good thoughts there, whatever. But uh, you've got to remember one thing: all the other players they 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 play different shifts, so they're not out there all the time. The goalie's out there for every shift, every second play during the game. I, well, that's that's exactly my point, and it's not like. I mean, you know, stats are stats, but I mean, a goalie one-loss record doesn't say it's his fault or his credit. But he—that should be one way to record what a goaltender does. Absolutely, I agree, hundred percent. And as far as the Oilers go, like, like I, I'll be really interesting. About, you know, like we, we, we we're that city that you know that the decade of darkness or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're a city that's little, little shy and stuff like that, and a little fragile and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, let's look at the twenty game mark. It's who we're at the twenty game mark. That'll that'll be that'll be a really good indicator of where we're going and what's going to happen. There's a lot of teams out there. Like we went all last year without very much injury. Uh, all everything was going on, and I'll predict that if that if Drysaddle comes back, he's going on that right wing. They need scoring, and they need it now. Yeah, I would put him back on that right wing for sure. Elvis, good to hear from you, buddy. Call after the game tomorrow, okay? Yeah, have a good night, my friend. All right, that is from uh, Elvis, 780-496-0063. Getting some interesting texts in about uh, my debate uh, with my buddy. We'll take a quick timeout. It's 618 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Some text to uh, 6.30. Big Jack says the goaltender's one loss record doesn't tell how well the team is playing in front of the goaltender. This texter says coaches get a one loss record as well. They don't even touch the ice. And another texter says, this is a good one, Says, uh, your buddy likes Formula One. Well, why give Formula One drivers credit for a win when it is a team win? That's a good point. A lot of people working on that car, right? Why why just give the one driver credit for the victory? 780-496-0063. We got Daryl on line two. Hello, Daryl. Hey, Reed. How's fun? I'm doing quite well. That's good. Hey, uh... It's an interesting thing here being an Oilers fan. I think you have so many different uh, emotions running through the city, and you got fans who are stuck in the decade of darkness, and they're just never going to get out of it. But I think, in, you know, I disagree with the fellow that was on before there, Elvis, where he talked about having, uh, you know, just being patient, waiting for a 20 game mark. Because I think at some point, when you look at the Oilers team and how they're progressing, you have to stop saying, well, we're going to wait and see where they're at in 20 games. Because at this point in the season, we do have injuries, but. You know, we need to be planning for these things and and still performing on the ice. And I don't know if that, I don't know if that means that maybe uh, Jason Moss can share some of his passion with Todd McClellan to get a fire lit on the ice when these guys aren't playing the way they're supposed to. But it's professional sports, and we can't be waiting 20 games every year for these guys to shake it off. They've got to be on it when they're when the season starts. They got to be able to run with it. So uh, those are my comments for tonight. Anyhow, have a good one. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate it, Daryl. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, like I, I said on the weekend, I, I, don't, I don't think this is a 24 or 28 win team like we saw during the, the, the decade of darkness when there were some really bad teams. I think this poor start 
leads to some legitimate concern that maybe it's going to wind up being a 36 or 38 team win, which which won't get you into the playoffs. Um, I mean, they play Pittsburgh tomorrow, then they're home for five. So maybe they can finally make some hay on home ice because they've lost three in a row at home. And then they and then they have a four game road trip after that. So tomorrow is game eight. You know, so after that uh, four game road trip, they'll be up to seventeen games. You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I just here's the th- here's the thing. I know everybody's looking at well, what's Shirelli going to do? I don't know if there's a, this is the problem. I don't know if there's a big trade in late October or early November that is going to be significant enough to turn the team's fortunes around. I mean, maybe there's a tweak trade. Maybe there's a call-up. But, you know, the guys that are in the minors are in the minors for a reason. So... I, I like I always say I'm not. However you feel about the team, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because because that's how you feel, and as as many people have alluded to, we saw a really bad hockey team. I mean, the, the last seven years they missed the playoffs. Six of the years they were in the bottom three in the league. Uh, the one year they briefly flirted with a playoff spot with about ten or twelve games left was the lockout shortened season, and then they I think they lost nine of their last twelve and, and missed the playoffs by a fair margin given given the shortened season. Um, I, I don't see the team finishing in the bottom three in the league. I don't see them finishing in the bottom eight in the league. Does this start make it realistic that? You're going into the middle of February, uh, perhaps in a dogfight for a playoff spot. Well, yes, it does, because I, I do think it's, it takes a lot of energy to play uphill and win, I mean, win three in a row and look at the standings, oh, we're only 500. Or win seven out of ten and be like, oh, we're only two games over 500 and we're still four points out of a playoff spot. Like, this, this, could, take, this could take a lot of time to fight back into a playoff spot. Uh, Greg, I got about 40 seconds for you. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Reed. Uh, real quick, um, as for the Oilers, I don't, I don't really think anything I say is going to have any, any bearing on their success. I... I don't know. I mean, hey, they have a lot of talent. It's up to them. Um, and then my other my other quick question is: Do you have any insight, or do you have any? Did you read the article in the Globe and Mail about painkillers in the NHL? No, I didn't actually. I'll have to check that out. Okay. Well, uh, interesting article. Uh, take care, Reed. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Well, I'll have to I'll look that up now. Appreciate it, Greg. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. More hockey talk as we go along. We'll have some more details on that game between the Ooks and the Golden Bears. But when we get back, Blake Dermott will break down that Eskimos' amazing and unexpected comeback. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on six thirty. Chet. enjoy hearing from you out there uh, good little chat here with Wayne on the text line about uh, about Formula One Wayne was uh, a big fan of both Villeneuve's that's pretty cool you can text 63630 the phone number 780-496-0063 don't forget Furnace Family Oilers Hockey tomorrow 3.30 face-off show 5 o'clock for the start of the game Oilers at Penguins McDavid versus Crosby Furnace Family Edmonton's Furnace Family replacement experts call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com we'll have another Oilers game on Thursday when they play Dallas and then yet another Double header, fourth weekend in a row. We'll have a regular season double header. Oilers and Eskimos here on 6:30. Ched, 
in the doubleheader so far, Eskimos are 3-0. and Oilers are 0-3. Let's see if they can both get us a win coming up on Saturday. So uh, a little more Eskimos talk here coming up in a few minutes. I, I got to get to this here, though, because I went to a news conference at Northlands Coliseum today, or as we had called it for the last several years, Rexall Place. But Northlands Coliseum on December 9th, that's a Saturday at 7 p.m., will host Faceoff 2017. It'll be the eighth ever faceoff game between the U of A Golden Bears and the Nate Ooks. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, uh, I've heard something about this before, but I feel like there hasn't been one for a while. Well, you're right. The last time they had one was in 1991. Uh, The Bears won five of the seven they had in the 80s and uh, into the 90s. And, of course, you all know about the history of those two programs, Claire Drake, Billy Moores, uh, on and on uh, coaching the Golden Bears, and Perry Pern the head coach uh, at Nate through, he coached six of the seven previous face-off games, and Perry was at the news conference today. I was glad to sit down with him. Well, Perry, uh, man, since 1991, they haven't had this game at a, at a Northlands facility. It must be, bring back a lot of memories talking about this. Well, it certainly does, and uh, it's a bit poignant because um, the guy whose idea this game was in the first place, uh, Jim Carr, uh, <laughs> passed away recently and uh, I'm sure he must be smiling that the, the game is coming back uh, you know Jim coached with me uh, for a year at Nate but he was a U of A alumni uh, played at U of A and um, the year that we started the, the, the first face-off game we were both ranked number one us in college and uh, U of A and CIS and uh, the, the, the first game was a tremendous game tremendous atmosphere in the building here um, I think at that time the largest crowd that had ever watched a college game in in Canada so um, it was a terrific time uh, in our history at Nate and I think you know it was again part of the the ongoing history of success at U of A. What do you remember about the crowds? Because obviously both are Edmonton institutions. Some people went to one or went to the other or no people who did. Or if you're like me, you went to both. So (laughs) what do you remember about just the the vibe and and the cheering those nights? Well, uh, I have to give Nate fans credit because I think the very first game, uh, uh, Nate fans dominated the crowd uh, and they did a tremendous job of picking up I think the the atmosphere of, of the game it was very much like a US college game painted faces uh, lots of blue and gold in the stands and uh, you know uh, I, I think a lot of people had a, uh, a lot of fun around the game you know went out before the game went out after the game uh, it was technologies you know coming together as a group it was sports teams coming together as a group um, and I think the other thing about it was uh, I think uh, minor hockey uh, was a big part of it. And I think, um, you know, when I look at where college hockey is, and when I say college hockey, I'm talking about uh, CIS and ACAC hockey in Alberta. Like, it's grown since those days. And I think part of the reason that it grew is the, the tremendous group of people that the institutions that were involved in that game have created because uh, uh, both schools have produced some tremendous coaches that have gone on and helped grow minor hockey and then grow the college game here in Alberta. You had some tremendous teams when you coached Nate. Was taking on the U of A a step up in Nate class or was it finding somebody in a more equal weight class? Well, uh, 
you know, it was always a challenge for us because, um, like, you you could not look across the river and say that that's what you aspired to be, and and certainly that's. Uh, you know, we aspired to have a program that, that rivaled U of A's. Um, you know, the difference between the two schools probably was the fact that a lot of our programs were two-year programs. But, you know, <clears throat> over time we did have a lot of players stay and take a second technology or, um, you know, be with us uh, three or four years. But the other thing that happened is, you know, we got a lot of players started in post-secondary and sent them on to U of A where, you know, they were a, a big part part of U of A and probably Sid Cranston would be, you know, one of the biggest names uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, was was a leading scorer for U of A, but was our leading scorer the year he played at Nates. And so he's one of the guys that played on both sides of that rivalry in the face-off games. So, um, you know, I, I think um, it forced our program to... To, to try and be better and you always need those kinds of challenges and uh, you know Claire was tremendous uh, with me and helping me become a coach and helping me grow as a coach Billy uh, Moore is the same thing like they've always been great supporters and helpers in terms of uh, me moving on in my career and, and me um, you know growing and learning as a coach so um, I just think everything about it was so positive Great to sit down with Perry Pern today. So Nate Ooks, U of A Golden Bears, Saturday, December 9th, face-off 2017 at Northlands Coliseum. You can already get tickets through Ticketmaster, single seats, just $10 plus fees, and uh, 20% of the uh, proceeds will be donated to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, the remainder going equally to the Bears and Ooks men's hockey program. So there we go. And we'll have more on that throughout the week and, uh, and leading up to the game. Inside Sports. On 6.30, Chet, it is 6.40. Just switching gears here to the now 10 and 6 Edmonton Eskimos. And I'm just going to, before we, I bring on Blake Dermott to break down that incredible comeback, I want to, if you were listening to this, this might ring a bell. But I, I think it'll be of interest, even if you heard it before. Here's a little snippet from Lions coach and GM Wally Buono when I talked to him on Inside Sports last Wednesday. The thing about a losing streak is you got to break that uh, cycle of negativity that's around yourself and your team. And, uh, you know, uh, whether it's giving up a late uh, touchdown in, in the fourth quarter or it's whether, uh, you know, it's a turnover in the fourth quarter, uh, when you have that attitude of negativity around you, it seems like you always find a way uh, to make a mistake to let the other team win. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it, Blake? It's like Wally knew what was coming. Yeah. Well, that's what the Eskimos went through for six weeks, <clears throat> finding right. ways to lose games and uh, and play poorly. Uh, but before we go on to this, uh, uh, Reed, I just wanted to say I was at one of those uh, Nate uh, face-off games with U of A when I was in school. I'm, I, I can't remember what the number was, but there was like 12,000 people at the game. At, uh, yeah, I got the, the attendances. Um, there were a couple that were well over ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was an unbelievable. You know, it was. I used to go to some of the Bears hockey games when I was playing, but um, but they they fantastic hockey, and and that would have been when Sid and Dennis were both playing. I think for Nate at that time, and uh, I think the game was a four three game, and they had won the national championship, and the U of A had won the national championship. They they were two of the top uh, college teams in the country, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to go see. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you might have gone to the very first one, 5-4 Alberta 1, March of 85, attendance was 13,300. <laughs> I think that's the one. <laughs> that's yeah. probably the one. Yeah, they, I mean, there were a couple blowouts uh, for Alberta, but most of them were, were pretty close, and I'm, I'm curious to see what this year's game will uh, will be like as well. Uh, Blake, I got, I, got, I got you for a few minutes here. I know you're busy, um, but yeah, I played, I played the Buono clip, and... I mean, when something that dramatic happens, I know for everybody in Edmonton, it's like, well, the Eskimos pulled it out. I think if you're watching that game objectively, you say the Eskimos pulled it out, and BC just lacked any aggression or spirit in the last four minutes in overtime. Well, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, you when you break down a game or anything like that, you go, well, we won that game, or, or I think BC lost that game. And it was a combination of a couple things. I mean, of course... Mike Riley was lights out, made the right plays, right throws, guys caught the balls, calls were made, all those kinds of things. But, but when you give up 16 points in that short a period of time, you, you, didn't, you didn't get beat, you, you lost the game. And, and I think that's, that's what teams, that as, as Coach Bonham was saying, that are mired in these losing streaks, that's what they continually find, things, find ways to do. And they don't find ways to win, they just find different ways to lose. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, though, good for the Eskimos to stick with it uh, and and pull it out. So they're ten and six. Oddly enough, they could still possibly have a home game, though. Though I think that's remote. I still think it's like the third or fourth in the West, maybe a crossover for the Eskimos as we move along here. Uh, a couple th- and I actually got. I, I, well, I'll ask you this question first because I think you might have addressed it. Asked the game, but a couple people texted in. Uh, saying, can you ask Blake about uh, Jason Moss on the sidelines? There was that little uh, clip there where it looked like he was uh, yelling at the special teams coach. I mean, does that happen a lot, or what do you think of that? You know, the problem that um, uh, the problem that Jason has right now is that um, he had the one blow up, so cameras are going to follow him for that juicy moment every time. And you'd be surprised as a fan. Uh, how animated coaches can get on the sidelines. Um, so, and, and how many interactions between teammates and coaches, uh, how many times that happens. It's not unusual. However, most of the times you don't see it. And, uh, but now, you know, every time he turns around, there's going to be a coach in his face. And I felt bad for Coach McDermott because he, shortly thereafter, the camera was like right in his face. Almost like, okay, what are you going to do now? What are you going to say? And, and I don't know if that's, you know, it, it, I don't want to say anything negative about it because it becomes not the story. The story was a fantastic football game that came down to, you know, went into overtime and all that other stuff. But it's the angle that the television guys are now trying to deflect or trying to go to because maybe at that time it was a boring game. And it was at that point. It was a little slow. And they gave up a safety. And it was an, a non-event play that turned into something that has become maybe more than it should have. But, but that's the thing that Coach Moss has got to be very careful with because, because it, you don't want, as a coach, to become a distraction. And now when something like that happens, you know immediately a camera's going to be on him. And he's got to be very, very cognizant of the fact that, that that's, you, never want to be the, you never want to be the show. You're a coach. You, you know, by the time the game time starts, the the is the barn. You know, you've done everything that you can. It's up to the players to be able to deal with it and, and, and make the calls and do all the things that you've, you've coached them up to do for the course of the week. You don't want to be the, you don't want to be the show on the field. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, I'm not saying that that's the case now, but it's starting to look that way. All right. And i, I got to ask you one more here. You know, Calvin McCarty uh, is a 
popular Eskimo because he's been here the longest, and I, I you know, he's he's a Canadian or a national or whatever they call them now. And when he kind of burst into the league, I think people saw some potential. Could be, could he be a guy that can get 500 yards rushing and 500 receiving in the in the same season? And now he's kind of that old warhorse guy that will go out there and do and do what is ever needed. Can you describe the the impact of McCarty, especially in the fourth quarter, helping with the comeback? Because he didn't rack up any yards, but he, but he's getting a lot of praise. Well, you know, one of the things that that um, that he has that that every team, every good team, has guys like that, and there's probably more than one guy. Uh, I mean, that that catch by Corey Watson, uh, 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 sorry, um, uh, the re- uh, receiver. Uh, uh, yeah, Corey Watson made the uh, the touchdown catch. You know, here's another guy. He's not a young guy. He's been around a while, but guys that step up and they don't have a huge impact. He's not going to get a thousand yards, um, but uh, they they just they have a knack of. You know, when when you, they don't have to speak a lot, because but if they did speak, people would respect them because they're not making mistakes, and they're guys that you look to when when the chips are down, and you you, know, you count on them to make the right play, or to make the right call, or you know uh, you know to make the one-handed catch like he's done in BC Place a couple of times over his career, and and he just becomes the guy who's never going to miss a block, mm-hmm. the guy who you know, and 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 if you don't have those guys in the field. You don't get out of losing streaks, and and you don't go on winning streaks if you don't have those guys. And and every he's he's the plumber. He's a guy that you know if you need him because of injuries or whatever to be the guy to carry the ball ten times in in the last five minutes of the game, he'll do it. And he's going to get good yardage, and he's going to make the plays, and he's going to you know. Um, but he's also the guy if you need him to make the big catch, he's going to be the guy you can throw the ball to because you know you know that he's going to make that catch. And. If if the the game is on the line and you got to have one guy back there blocking for you, I'll bet you Mike Riley's the guy who said I want him in my backfield blocking for me. Yeah, so well, that's that's the kind of player he is. Yeah, well said, Blake. Thanks for checking in tonight. Always good to have your perspective. Eskimos and Stampeders coming up on Saturday. I know you'll be at the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. We'll see you there, buddy. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. Our Eskimo analyst Blake Dermott here on six thirty. Chet, uh, really cool special guest coming up after the break. You know, I mean it when I tell you, if you have a guest suggestion, email it to me, inside sports at 630ched.com, because I will look into it, and if it's someone who I think is going to tell a great story, they will be on the show. For example, my guest right now, 14-year-old Edmontonian Sophia Calderon. Sophia, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Man, you, you, you've done pretty well. I got this note here about you. Uh, you were on a team that won the Junior World Cup in dragon boat racing, uh, and in France. What what can you tell? When, when was this? And and how did you? What did you guys have to do to win the whole thing? Well, it was in the month of August, off school, so awesome for me. And there was different race categories. There was 500 meter race, uh, 200 meters, and two kilometers. And there was different sections. There was um, for the younger ones, 16 and under, and then the older ones uh, from 16 to 18. And I raced in the younger categories since I am under 16. And we got many golds and silver. We actually medaled in all of those races, and that is what led us to getting the Junior Cup. Okay, so you you did the best overall. So how yep. did how did you get into dragon boat racing? I mean, I know they have the the big races here uh, in Edmonton every summer, but I didn't know there was a junior world cup for for people your age. How how did you get involved in dragon boat racing? 
Well, getting involved started with actually my mom. She was the first one who discovered the sport, and she pushed me into it, and I found a really interesting liking for it. What do you like about it? I absolutely love the spray of the water in your face when there's that the race part and the adrenaline. It is absolutely amazing. Cool. How many how how many people are on your team? How many how many are in a boat at one time while you're racing? There was two types of boats: a small boat, which was ten people, and then a bigger one, standard, that was twenty people. Okay. Wow. So a lot of people working together. So who else was on your team? Was it people from across the country, or how did the team get put together? Um, well, it was a, diff- a bunch of different um, trials. There was four trials, and after that, the selection process was, I believe, 40 people from all across the country. Oh, so you had to kind of make like a Canadian all-star team almost then. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Sophia Calderon joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, helped uh, the U18 Canadian team win the Junior World Cup in Dragon Boat Racing in August in France. So how often do you train, and what sort of training do you do, Sophia? Well, on, honestly, for training, with a, it's usually every day, but it's um, variation. So one could be like full body workout, make sure strength training. The next day could be cardio, no weights. It's a variation to keep the strength fit because for the different testings for Team Canada, it was a variation of the physical strength and hopefully your stamina. Okay. So, yeah. So you're pretty strong then. You're pretty tough. I'd say so myself. Okay, nice. Do you play any other sports? Uh, yes, actually, I do volleyball. I'm on the senior volleyball team of Westmont Junior High. Okay, cool. Uh, and how do you do in school? I understand you do pretty good in school, too. Yes, very good. I'm very proud of my uh, marks in the school. Okay, what's your favorite subject? I don't have a favorite. They're all really uh, cool subjects, and I feel like I learn a lot from every single one. Okay, awesome. Are, are you going to keep going with the dragon boat racing? I mean, is this something you want to keep doing for, for maybe a long time? Oh, yeah. This is totally worth the investment. Okay, good. Uh, who's your favorite athlete? My favorite athlete? Well, um, in our clubhouse, there's um, this one woman, a lady. She is absolutely amazing. She is on the premier Team Canada dragon boat team, and she is crazy awesome at dragon boating. Nolana, that's her name, she is awesome. She was, she's a big inspiration for me and was the inspiration that pushed me to make it to the team, one of my many inspirations. Okay, cool. So so is it the off-season now, though, you focus on school and volleyball? Yep. Okay, when are you going to get back in the dragon boat? Um, November, my team gets back to uh, winter training, and that's just dry land, and it's a special thing called an erg, and it basically imitates paddling, but there's no water. It's just like a, it's like a roller, but with a more paddle-like version. Awesome. Sophia, this was great to get to know you a little bit. Again, congratulations on helping Canada win. And uh, keep in touch, okay? Let me know when you win some more stuff. Yes, sir. (laughs) I shall. Well, that was great. Sophia Calderon checking in. 14-year-old Dragon Boat World Champion. Not bad. Not a bad title to have in your teens. Break for the news. Scoreboard update coming up. And former Toronto Blue Jay World Series hero, Ed Sprague. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.